The following podcast was recorded and produced by lapsed Star Wars enjoyers. While the hosts approach the material with some residual fondness, they are frequently reductive, dismissive, inaccurate, disrespectful, and deeply unfair to George Lucas, Timothy Zahn, and the Star Wars intellectual property in general. If this sounds like a bad time to you, you will have a bad time. Caveat listener, and on to the show. Hello, and welcome back, everyone, to the next thrilling installment of Thronderdome, the world's only Star Wars podcast. I have not bothered to check. I can't imagine anyone else would really want to record a, uh, a podcast about this material. I, we might be the only one doing like a chapter-by-chapter reading of the Thrawn books, though. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'm not even going to check. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to even countenance the thought that someone else is out there just butchering their interpretation of uh, American genius and uh, luminary of letters, Timothy Zahn. Um, with all that said, <laughs> welcome to the show. I'm, uh, I am your co-host, Dr. Daniel Doughty. And uh, with me tonight, as always, is uh, the other co-host, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how, how are we doing this evening? I don't know. The, uh, the house dog is, is uh, sick with pneumonia, so that's been kind of annoying for me to deal with as the person who doesn't actually own the dog, but has to be around the dog regardless. <laughs> has to feign concern about a living animal, you know. I pointed point out to my roommate that it would be a bad time to bury a dog because the, the ground is, you know, frozen solid. <laughs> That's right. You are up there in the in the in the winter blasted waste of Wisconsin. Whereas, meanwhile, I was sweating my ass off today in eighty degree weather. It sucks. It's really bad down here. I just. Mm. It does mean though that I, I you know I, I will get to reference one of my favorite Simpsons bits uh, if this sticks around through Christmas of having a cold beer on a hot Christmas morning. So that's that's my cold comfort of uh, wacky climate shenanigans. Oh, look who's um, showing off! He can still drink beer. <laughs> oh no, I did not mean to. Listeners, if you don't know already, Ronnie is sober. Many years sober. Six years. Yes. Is that right? Six years sober, um, which is an incredible achievement that uh, we're all very proud of him for. I was not intending to needle you, Ronnie. You know what we need to do? We need to get away from my wacky shenanigans and get into the wacky shenanigans of a few characters in a galaxy far, far away. I, uh, Are you ready uh, to pick up the story? I think this is the first time, not to step on your toes a bit, but this is the first time we've done one of these where... You know, we're doing Thronderdome, and this is the first time we've done a series of chapters where there's been no Thrawn whatsoever. Am I right? Oh, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. He's like, he doesn't, his name isn't even mentioned. It's just kind of uh, alluding to the Imperials. You're right. Yeah, there's three whole chapters without any Thrawn in it. We're going to have to change the name of the podcast for this episode. Luke, I have some ideas Luke on what we can call it, though. The podcast. We'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> right. So we open chapter 17. Uh, it's uh, it's Luke Skywalker after his daring escape, daring yet damaging escape from uh, from the clutches of Thrawn, which uh, totally busted up his uh, his hoopty. And he is seeing all of the check engine lights flashing on his uh, on his panel there. He's uh, he's stranded. He's dropped out of hyperdrive, uh, you know, half a light year away from uh, from any other kind of stellar body or planet or anything like that. He is just out in cold ass deep space uh, with a non-functional X-wing starfighter. 
so Zon actually, this is one of the first times where there's just like a lot of techno babble. <laughs> and Zon takes great joy in just burying the reader with all the technical details of Luke as he basically tries to pull like he's he and R2 are trying to do an Apollo 13 uh, where they are figuring out whether they have enough components to cobble together to repair one of the hyperdrive motivators um, to limp to, to safety. Uh, that doesn't appear to be the case. Both hyperdrive motivators are cracked and fractured. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say um, not even the S foil servo actuator can be of any assistance. Uh, and we have a footnote for that, or rather an endnote for that here. See, we're, we're back to the endnotes. Uh, <laughs> I, I reclaimed the notes. Daniel got the books back. Uh, we're z- I got the book back from whatever other nerd was. Hey, that's what the, right. We concluded that was another person starting a competing podcast. So tough luck now, buddy. This is our turf. Um, but in that, uh, Mr. Zahn mentions that he was using Weston Games, the RPG maker for the tabletop uh, Star Wars RPG. I, they have a splendid X-Wing schematic with all the cool tech stuff a writer could ever ask for. And let me tell you, there's nothing cooler than saying S-Foil Servo Actuator for no fucking reason. Can, uh, can you imagine being so Timothy we... Zahn and like, oh yeah, I, I'm uh, doing, some, uh, doing some research for my, uh, for my upcoming uh, novel. Oh, what are you? Uh, you looking over like some some documents? Yeah, yeah, some uh, tabletop RPGs. Uh. <laughs> of the of the RPG that I've contributed to, I'm doing a little research. <laughs> yeah, he's Roll, like, rolling, oh, rolling some dice, about, like you know. Right? Are, are you are you you know learning about like uh, like food ways in the Civil War so you can like accurately describe the meals being served at a tavern? No, no, I just need to know where the where the S foil actuator is on a on a on an S class fucking starfighter. Uh, it's bit, just a really fun. Hey, you know this, what? This is a bit of a tangent. Oh, but sorry, do you remember ahead. the author who got in trouble because he was like uh, he was like using recipes in his book, but the recipes were from uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it was like a historical author, too. It was someone writing about, like, the Middle Ages or something. And it, it was like, he's, yeah, he stewed up two Hylian shrooms. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, we should read those books. I bet they're really good. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, that's a little... Hey, hey, folks, that's a little sarcasm for you, you know? Both me and Ronnie being Gen Xers are very fluent in sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> I, like the, I like your belief that I'm Generation X. I just thought it would be funny to call ourselves Generation X. You're overshooting um, my age by a considerable margin. Look, we're reading literature from 1991. We might as well be Generation X. You know what I'm saying? I suppose. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway um, just as we're reading all of this, just keep imagining that you're hearing uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit in the background to really get that 1991 feel for you. Uh, so, uh, we waste a lot more time with Luke crawling around under the hood, trying to figure out how to fix things. A lot about hairline cracks, uh, zero G free fall, just all the, all the kind of stuff that, you know, you don't really come to Star Wars for, you know, Star Wars isn't one of those nuts and bolts science fiction properties. It's, it's the one where you kind of wave a magic wand and, you know, I don't know, stuff works and no one really pays a lot of attention to it. But uh, what Luke does come to the conclusion, though, so the, the engine's all fried. They're not going anywhere. The communications array, is all, the faster-than-light communications array is all fried. But 
that could potentially be repaired. Uh, it is an antenna made of 10 kilometers of ultra-thin superconducting wire wound tightly around a U-shaped core. The subspace radio antenna is also something that wasn't supposed to be field repairable. But Luke's not going to let that stop him because he has a robot with him. Uh, and a robot has to do whatever you tell it to. Uh, let's see. The uh, So the, the they he determines that there are components in the ship with other ultra-thin superconducting wire that should get them enough to wrap around the core, which was undamaged, to be able to call for help at some point. But that's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of time for R2 to get that all done. So Luke is saying, all right, I'm going to go back into hibernation trance. Uh, he's getting a lot of use out of hibernation trance, uh, this part in the story. Um, so R2 gets going. Uh, Luke calls upon the force to help him mostly die very heroically. And, uh, as, as he's kind of going, as he's kind of slipping away, he tries one last time. He also tried to sort of like force telepathy with Leia to try to call for help, but she's just too far away. Uh, or so he thinks. He calls out one last time as he's going into his meditation trance. And we switch perspectives over to on the Lady Luck, where Leia jerks awake, having heard her name whispered as if in a dream. Luke, she called, propping herself up on one elbow, peering at the dimness around her. Yes, we're back with Leia as our uh, point of view character. And Ronnie, I'm going to say, before we get into the dig into this Leia segment here... I'm going to give Timothy Zahn some credit. I feel like he is finally, he's finally done a job. I'm not even going to say a good job, but he's done a, a job of describing things when they arrive at the Wookiee planet. How did you feel about it? Well, first I want to just uh, have the couple points I, I wrote down about the Luke segment of this uh, chapter, which hmm. is... Uh, oh, yes, of course. I, I think we've talked before about how uh, Zahn will sometimes egregiously just flash back to the to the original trilogy with little prompting, and we get a case of that in this uh, <laughs> this chapter where he's he's basically apropos of nothing. Luke is like, you know, this reminds me of that time I lost my hand in Cloud City, and I was just hanging on for dear life. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's kind of like That's you know. Right. I mean, it's understandable, but it's also like, oh yeah, this reminds me of the other time I almost died. <laughs> it's gonna be pretty good if like you know at some point later it's like uh oh, this reminds me of that time i got uh bullied around by walrus face at that bar <laughs> just all of his all, all of his famous moments <laughs> from the original trilogy and the other thing i noticed and because i because uh we kind of uh we kind of know our our, our uh, roles in this uh podcast you kind of do the overview exhaustively whereas i look for the uh the the uh, the underseen uh, moments of, of perhaps the the book and I spent mm. a lot of time following Indeed. like uh, you know R two D two and what he says and there there's a phrase I, I really liked which was he responded in a distinctly mournful electronic moan now I'm wondering how the heck do you possibly <laughs> do that and I know we've had an end well, no- is, I know we've is- had an end note before about how uh, Zahn came up with, like, all these uh, these synonyms and similes for, for uh, you know, yeah. how, how R2-D2 to, to uh, respond, but some of them are, are downright silly. I mean, a robot yeah. can't moan. Especially mournfully. Well, the thing is, though, like... <laughs> I, I, I feel like each of those 
each of these times he's like describing a sound because like if you think back to the original trilogy like r2d2 had a fairly limited vocabulary right like he actually had like a pretty set number of noises he would make like he had his nervous noise he had his sad noise he had his like excited talking noise so i think this i think the mournful moan is just his way of describing like one of those like seven or eight noises that R2-D2 did. I kind of wish he went the uh, automatopoeia route and like uh, threw in some beeps and and whatnot. You know? hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, that could be. You know, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you I, again. I, I think it's again we're we're suffering from. I say suffering from. Zon clearly trusts the reader to have an imagination capable enough to feed in these, to fill in these details. You know, that's, that's really what we're talking about. We're over here complaining about how he doesn't describe things when really he's extending us the grace, the compliment really of trusting us. <laughs> but... My, my, my final note is, uh, is there's a occasion where R2 gurgles an answer, which I found preposterous, but it's followed by, Oh, nah. come on now. Luke acknowledged, admonished him. You mean to tell me you can't do what some non-intelligent wire-wrapping machine does all day? This is when they're, like, dealing with ripping the copper oh, wiring yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the X-Wing for, <laughs> I don't know, for liquor money? I for don't meth remember. money? Yeah. But, right. But, <laughs> I, just, I just love the unsolicited slam on, uh, on wire-wrapping machines. It's like... Yeah, I mean, clear, clearly they're a very important part of uh, Starship manufacturing. Also, it goes back to, like, Star Wars being very vague on, like, how much sentience robots have. Because, I mean... Yeah, yeah. Even even that one that goes gonk seems to have some limited <laughs> form of intelligence. <laughs> I, th- I think it at least feels pain. It wasn't, wasn't it, like, the gonk droid that was got its feet burned in Jabba's palace? It looked like the gonk droid. It probably wasn't the same. Why would, why would you ever <laughs> programming a robot to feel pain... So that you can torture them. Duh. <laughs> What's wrong Fucking with you? Fucking Marquis de Sade built robots. <laughs> Look, we can, we'll, we'll ask George Lucas at our, uh, our big season-ending finale where we interview George Lucas. Uh, that's a promise and a pledge. We're going to do that. Uh, <laughs> we have that kind of pull. I, I'm, I'm, uh, sure, very his, good I'm sure his first uh, response will be, what the hell is Thrawn? That's not, like, did you not, not read Timothy's outline that's not one of years the, ago? That's not one of the racist aliens <laughs> I created. <laughs> so, so anyway. but, 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 but back so anyway, to your point. You, you, were, like, are you, you were making the contention that, that Zahn actually described uh, Kashek uh, quite well relative to the rest of the book, and I would be in agreement with yeah. you. Yeah, which which makes something in a note that comes later a bit of a I don't know. It's a bit of a I would be irritated about this too, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, so uh, Leia's on board the Lady Luck with Chewie. Uh, they are making their approach to uh, to Kashyyyk, the home homeland, the home planet of the Wookies. Um, they're uh, you know entering through the atmosphere, and then they uh, they start you know skimming over, and they see a layer of clouds. And uh, the they see the the tops of the uh, native Roshir trees poking up so tall they poke up above the cloud cover. And there's a really funny little aside here 
where uh, I'll just read the whole thing to, uh, as a block quote. She remembered when she'd first came across a reference to the size of Kashyyyk's trees. She'd had a full-blown argument with the Senate librarian at the time about how the government could not afford to have its records data shot through with such clearly absurd errors. <laughs> Which... Like, lady, why are you making a scene? that poor, And I took this personally because I am a librarian uh, in my profession. And I just have to imagine, like, this poor, you know, the Senate librarian at the at the big, you know, the, the hollow stacks, like we saw in the prequel trilogies. And you got Princess fucking Leia, you know, giving you the business when all you're there, like, look, I didn't, I didn't write the reference material, okay? This is what we have. I can't, I don't know what you want from me. And it turns out she was wrong the whole time. I really hope she apologizes to that librarian. So, so let me get this straight. In a galaxy far, far away, long, long ago, you picture yourself not as like I don't know a swashbuckling uh, bounty hunter or a, or a smuggler or, or I don't know that that fucking robot that says gonk. Uh, you imagine yourself as the Senate <laughs> librarian. It's largely my life now, except I, it's in Star Wars. No, I'm just saying I feel for that librarian. I'm not saying that's what I would imagine myself doing in the Star Wars. It universe. is absolutely what you imagine I, yourself I, doing. Well, it would be fun to go through all the old Republic archives, man. There's 10,000 years of history in there. All right, look, just we're not, your, I'm not on would, trial it here. It would be your life right now, except it'd be like, <laughs> okay, let me check the hollow card catalog. <laughs> It would, it would be the same life that I have now, except every now and then my, my uh, the patron I'm helping would be a yak face. And you'd have like some of those uh, jet Jetson uh, rings around your uh, around your arms. Ooh, yeah, to, to zoom up to the to the top shelves. See, you're making this sound better and better. Um, so anyway, uh, she asked Chewie, "Are those typical?" Chewbacca growled a negative. The ones visible above the clouds were probably half a kilometer taller than average. Um, so these are the ones that they, uh, these are just kind of the safe haven ones. This is where they keep their children in the, in the tallest trees. Because apparently the, um, actually, let me find the note here. While you're looking ah, up the note, I, I found something really funny because she says that, you know, oh, they're the ones you put nursery rings on then. And then it follows with, uh, he looked at her and even with her limited ability to read Luke faces, his surprise was quite evident. Don't look so shocked she had admonished him with a smile. Some of us humans know a little little about Wookiee culture. We aren't all ignorant savages, you know. And it's totally a case of like guess who read like the, the fucking uh the brochure to Kashek. I know all about your Rorschach trees. <laughs> I'm not some hillbilly. <laughs> right. I know one like... thing about your entire planet. Yeah, I, I know. I know all about Wookiee culture. I read uh, *Raisin in the Sun* in high school, so I have a really good grasp on it. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. And I also like that. Like, this is after we said that she got into a shouting match with a librarian about Kashyyyk facts. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, well, here's here's a note that uh, Zon has about uh, about Kashyyyk. This was the description of Kashyyyk that I was given. Immensely tall trees with Wookiee cities perched on them with a layered ecology that got more and more vicious as you traveled down toward the ground below. Sort of an organic version of the tall, layered cityscape of Coruscant, now that I think about it. I was really looking forward to getting a glimpse of that world when I heard it would be featured in Revenge of the Sith. I was also curious as to the kind of tactics the Wookiees would use against the Separatist forces on such a battlefield. 
but either the planet had been redesigned when I wasn't looking, or else George simply chose to use a ground-level area of the world for that scene. Maybe someday in a special edition. <laughs> so, so that's what that's what I'm thinking. Like you know, D- Timothy actually puts effort into like m- describing and like painting a picture for Kashyyyk, and then George Lucas just comes out and is like, "Oh no, actually, that that's not how it is at all. They all live, you know, they live on the beach." <laughs> so you know how people have like grandparents uh, who have never who never saw the Chicago Cubs win a World Series because it been like a hundred yeah. years in between World Series. I imagine that's going to be like Timothy Zahn. He dies never knowing what Kachik really looks like. <laughs> he just waits through all these so special. Anyway. He just waits through all these special editions <laughs> and ancillary Disney products and just never mm-hmm. gets it. Never once. Yeah. Uh, so they begin an approach to a uh, looks like a cluster of uh, five or six Wurshier trees, very tall ones. Um, that appear to be kind of uh, enmeshed together with cables and branches kind of running between and among them. And there's a city perched in the midst of that uh, that copse. Um, so Leia's pretty gobsmacked uh, looking at that. Can I, can, um, I, can I say how this they, is simultaneously shitting on the Ewoks and and uh, also being like really condescending towards the, the, the Wookiees? Because the, the, uh, the book says... Not just a collection of primitive huts and fires like the Ewok tree villages on Endor. This was a real genuine city. It's like, <laughs> wow, those those stupid bear ape monsters know how to make cities. There are some yeah, buildings Leia's that are really two or three stories high. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you're absolutely right. So they make the approach to the city and they land on a, uh, a, a spaceport pad that's uh, made from a, a giant branch that had been sliced off to create a, uh, you know, a flat surface. Um, you know, they land at the spaceport platform. They are greeted to the city of Rukoro by a small delegation led by a certain Ralrchin, uh, Ralra for short. Um, and it turns out that Leia has an easier time understanding what Ralra says than she does Chewie. Um, and she... This is such a weird scene. She surmises that this must mean Chewbacca has a speech impediment. And that that's why... And Chewbacca has a good laugh at that. And it turns out it's Ralra who has the speech impediment. And it turns out that makes it easier for humans or speakers of basic to understand him. Like, Leia is just... <laughs> Tripping over for such a for such an accomplished diplomat. Ralra has what I call a, a Chris Claremontism, which I find really annoying in like you know sci-fi uh, writing, where uh, to mm-hmm. make his his speech uh, stand out, like he has like a certain dialect, and and this case, like his thing is that like in the word easy easier, there's there's two R's at the end, and it's really annoying yeah. to read. Hey, guess. Guess what, buddy? We have a note for that. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> it says here, it says here, I needed to be able to have actual conversations with one of the Wookiees. And since I committed myself to never directly translating Chewie, since that was never done in the movies, I came up with this idea that a speech impediment actually made Ralra easier for humans to understand. Okay, that's the first one there, but then there was another one. Oh, wait, hold on. Here we go. Uh, I generally like to use brackets when I'm showing that a character is speaking in an alien language. It's always seemed to me that an odd touch like that helps add to the alienness of the speech. 
just in case the brackets weren't enough alienness, I also threw in an extra letter at the end of our ending words. This is the sort of thing that drives copy editors crazy. Well, it's because it's fucking annoying, is what it is. Because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's pointless and annoying. <laughs> he's just really, he's really laying it on thick with the, uh, you know, it's you're like talking when fucking, here, so. fucking in the X-Men, it, Banshee's going all Faith and Begora. Like, talk like a real person. Yeah, yeah. Instead of an Irish stereotype. So, so. And I'm Ray saying that to you right now, Daniel. Thank you. I thank you for that. Thank you for standing up for my people. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Leia just can't stop tripping over her own metaphorical dick here. Um, so they're kind of having a little back and forth, and she she kind of ends ends a little bit of conversation with Ralra to see that uh, Chewbacca has gone over and she, as it says, to her shock, she saw that he was locked in a death grip with the other Wookiee. His bowcaster trapped uselessly against his shoulder by the other's massive arm. Chewie, she snapped, hand dropping to the blaster belted at her side. But Ralra, you know, inter- intervenes and says, "Like, hey, this—he's given that guy a hug. This is his old friend since childhood, <laughs> and they love each other." <laughs> Sorry, Leia murmured, dropping her hand to her side and feeling like an idiot. <laughs> she is a terrible ambassador. She's completely she misunderstanding just really the culture up. and. And this isn't like some alien race she's never met before. I mean, she's been with Chewie for yeah. like years now. Years at this point, yeah, five six years. Um, I, I do think this is kind of funny that like she's again she's supposed to be the most trained diplomat in the entire uh, New Republic, and she can't even make her way from a you know a, a small town reception without being just deeply offensive two or three times. Um. So, uh, so anyway, they, you know, they, they, uh, Ralra explains that, uh, thanks to the, the New Republic, Steve, the Empire were, were slavers. They would do slave raids on Keshik and, and enslave Wookiees because they're very strong, um, and are useful as slaves. Uh, so because the New Republic had broken the back of Imperial power and, uh, and apparently Keshik is, is, is well away from where the Imperial forces are active now. That the entire Wookiee people owe the New Republic a life debt, and so she, as a so, representative so, of the New so, Republic, so is, is protected means, by sacred law. That basically means uh, Leia can treat the Wookiees like shit, and they can't do anything about it. <laughs> she can, she can, she can, she can do any kind of like Rachel Dolezal level offensive stuff she wants to. Basically, she's just going to uh, like a. a she's just like going asking like if they could make her a hamburger. <laughs> that's right and she could be like uh my life depends on it uh life debt um so anyway the, the that that apparently sort of helps her relieve i get that she's nervous you know she's nervous uh but that kind of helps her kind of relax ralra had formally committed himself to her safety uh she knows that the wookies aren't going to hate her because she's a human you know she's pregnant with twins she's worried about the twins not um, that but this, now they're going to take her to her dates gonna... it ever yeah, it kind of it only ever comes up like whenever it's like useful to the plot. Like I, I don't think it's ever affected her activity at all. Um, Look, I mean, Daniel, you were so around they, a pregnant woman for like a couple minutes once. You know that like yeah, pregnancy yeah. doesn't like change their lives at, at all. No, or, or, I mean, you know I mean, what they can do. Pre- yeah, how comfortable no, they might feel. Um, 
Yeah, the kind of foods they can eat, um, the kind of smells they can stand to be around. It's all exactly the same as it is when you're when you're not pregnant. So, you know, Timothy Zahn got that very accurate. He must have done a lot of research on pregnant women. Timothy, if, if I know um, anything about Timothy Zahn, I know he knows a lot of women. <laughs> Look, man, you, you, do you know the kind of tale you can pull with a Star Wars cassette tape in your in your Trans Am? Now we're talking. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so anyway, moving along, uh, they take a kind of like a, I guess a ski lift ride or some, you know, like a, what do you call them? Like with little uh, cable cars around the city. Cause Leia wanted to see how this all works. So she was assuming repulsor lifts or something, but it turns out, no, the village was held up by its branches. And uh, Rara proudly explains that the, the the branches are induced to like grow in together and on rushier trees apparently what happens is if branches approach each other they begin to grow with, with into each other and meld into each other so that essentially this uh copse of five giant rushier trees is essentially one unified organism and i found myself thinking that's kind of like aspen groves um that's that's how they grow so if you've seen aspen grove that's all the same Organism. They're all connected by the roots underground, which is neat. We we um, get we get more condescension mm. on Leia's part where she says where she's thinking like, uh, you know, all the Rorschach trees in this bunch were a single giant plant with a unified or at least an intermixed root system. Did the Wookiees realize that, or had their obvious reverence for the trees forbidden such thinking and research? Hey, did those idiots love the trees on, so Leia. much <laughs> that they couldn't realize this, that this is this, one big tree? Bunch of dumbasses. The city that they in. The city that they engineered with their millennia-long knowledge of how these trees live, you don't think they know a little bit? It's really... Leia is just such a Wookieist. I am sorry. It's just really... Good thing and Timothy she Zahn is... She's that cla- Good thing Timothy Zahn is written about uh, Gleepclops instead of, like, Native Americans. <laughs> instead of... Yeah, instead of Leia going to, like, seek refuge in, like, a... Uh, like, a, I don't know, a, a Kenyan village somewhere. And then we have to endure... <laughs> <laughs> what Zahn has to say about that, um, but uh, so they so they get they get a good look at the and this is part of why you know I say that this chapter I really like this chapter because it it did like paint a picture like they were really talking a lot about how this city was constructed and what it was like. Um, <clears throat> so they uh, they continue on they they come on you know they end their little cable car tour but they have to like go up another level to get to where she's gonna stay. Um, and this is where, uh, we have a, a bit of a, a bit of a Timothy Zahnian touch here. Um, and, uh, where it says here, uh, some of them were multi-storied and quite elaborate. All of them seemed to open up directly onto empty space. Chewbacca understands my preferences. She told Ralra, expressing a shiver. I was wondering why the lift car went down this far past the village proper. And Ralra explains the lift car is used mainly for cargo transportation or the ill. Ralra said, most Wookiees prefer to climb the trees naturally. He held out a hand to her, palm up, and the muscles under the skin and fur flexed. A set of wickedly curved claws slid into sight from hidden fingertip sheaths. And we have a note about that. I like the idea of Wookiees being arboreal and living on huge trees kilometers above the ground. The problem was that they didn't seem to be built for that sort of life. So I added the protractable claws to make tree climbing practical. Uh, unfortunately, in the process, I forgot my own admonition that I needed to pay attention to what wasn't seen in the movies. Specifically, why weren't these claws ever seen, particularly when Chewie was fighting for his life? Fortunately, the West End Games folks also spotted the lapse and came to my rescue. 
In one of the later source books, they explained that it was a matter of honor that Wookiees never used these claws in combat, only for climbing. That's stupid. Wookiees it's are dummies. Pretty, that's a reach. Wookiees are a bunch of dummies. That is a reach. They they don't know what their trees are. <sighs> they they can't use their claws except for honorable purposes. It's dumb. They can't hug right, and then it makes ladies think they're attacking. But but I want to talk. I, mean, I want to talk about uh, the Croyes, which is my favorite part of the chapter. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Because we get uh, yeah we get another uh, Zon creation of birds that are that are uh, said to look like birds. Um. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> and uh, and uh, what the speech impediment guy? What's his face? Uh, uh, Ralra, Ralra. He says, "Yeah, yes." Once they were prized food to the Wookiee people. Now even the poor may eat them. And there's something funny about that line. Like it made me think of yeah. Like, where are the po- <laughs> like? There's a class system on Kashek. They all live on trees. Yeah. They live in tree villages that clearly they have, like, that does ring pretty false because, like, everything about the city they describe necessitates a lot of careful thinking and planning and cooperation. It all seems fairly communistic, if, you know, if I might deploy the term. Um, Yeah, like, I don't see the room for, like, where's the, where's the, where's the low rent side of town on the tree platform? Well, maybe like why they, would you do well, that? Well, maybe like the poor ones live in like trees that are like being eaten by termites and shit. Oh yeah, they I, live in like, kind of, tree shanties. I could have like, like they, live, they live like Ewoks. I would have liked a, a, an aside where it's like, look, it's our most uh, most prosperous citizen, Ralra, and his solid gold tree. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the last thing about the the oh, last thing boy. about the crows that I liked was that. He says that, uh, that point to the edge of the village above them, to the haze of light coming from the searchlights she'd seen during their approach. Croyes will come to those lights. Hunters there await, there await them. I'm just imagining, like, so these are basically birds that are, like, you know, bugs, uh, approaching a bug zapper. And, and you have a bunch of Wookiees who are doing, like, you know, the, uh, the quail hunting thing, where they just are, you know... Yeah, they just blast them when they approach the bait. <laughs> Very sporting, and then they give them to the poor. Um, so anyway, to kind of to kind of wrap up our our first visit to uh, to Kashyyyk here, um, they're they're going to where Leia's going to be staying, and as they're approaching it, um, th- Leia spots out of the corner of her eye, she sees in a window the steel gray skin and protruding jaw and bulging eyes of a Nogri. You know, one of those aliens, the, the kill teams have been coming for her. And uh, she she gasped and pointed at the, at the window. And Chewie was over there in an instant. He and his friend, uh, I guess we didn't give his name, Salporin, was his buddy that he was giving a big hug. Uh, they they run over there to see what they can find out. You know, they take up flanking positions. They shoot the door in. You know, they're doing real, they're doing real uh, criminal mind stuff uh, <laughs> to tie into your other podcast. <laughs> and so... Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's nothing. They don't uh, they don't find anything in there. Leia's shaken. Uh, she's sure that she saw something, but uh, Ralra uh, reassures her that you know that's you know we'll we'll get you to a secure location, and you know there's nowhere for for him to go, so we'll we'll find him. One one uh, one so thing gonna, that they're going to take her to safety. One thing that she gets uh, perturbed by before even this is her realization that all of the 
all the cables, like, holding up the lift cars are actually vines. Yeah, yeah. And, and Yeah, and she gets a little worried about that. And right. because of that, I it all fell into place for me. Kashek is basically those treetop levels in Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, that's a good that's a good model for it. And if you think about uh, it, Chewbacca is sure kind of like Donkey Kongian. I mean, that's right, and that would make uh, Han Solo Mario. No, he's Diddy. That's not right. He's, he's Diddy. <laughs> Han Solo is Diddy Kong. Imagine Han Solo <laughs> in a red baseball cap and a t-shirt with no pants. I can easily imagine that. Uh, that's pretty good. We we need to, we need to get uh, you know old old Harrison Ford. He's been doing the the new uh, Indiana Jones at eighty. We should we should get him to Donald Duck in a ball cap for uh, for. Uh, I'm I'm going to declare it now. First Thronderdome fan art contest. Draw Han Solo <laughs> in Diddy Kong's clothing. Yes, please email your submissions to thronderdomepod at gmail.com uh, within the subject headline Han Solo as Diddy Kong. Uh, thank you. Thank you all. You don't have to draw the penis, but that... <laughs> it's allowed. It is allowed. We won't disqualify you if you do, but try to be tasteful. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's what we move on to chapter 18, uh, where uh, we begin with Luke being startled out of his dreamless hibernation with uh, R2 screeching and squawking at him. Um, so they're there in the, the darkened X-Wing. You know, all the power's been cut to everything except uh, life support and, you know, R2-D2 doing his wire wrapping uh, project. Um, but R2 is upset. He's screaming about something. So Luke gets his bearings uh, and sees that there's a ship approaching. So he he snaps out of it pretty quick and slams the controls to to boot up the X-Wing to get it ready to go. Uh, it's going to take a few minutes, though. It's going to take about 20 minutes for the full warm-up routine to, uh, to go through. So he, he's got he's to gotta buy, gotta buy some time with whoever this is. Um, so he takes a look, and it's a big old beat-up Corellian bulk freighter. Uh, not the sort of ship Imperials used, and uh, certainly no Imperial markings on the hull. Uh, but under the circumstances, it was just as unlikely that it was an innocent freight handler, he thought. A pirate, perhaps? Luke reached out to the forest, trying to get a sense of the crew. Um, so he doesn't really get much of a sense of the crew, and then uh, the, the, the they're being hailed. You know, they're on the regular radio channels. So uh, he flips on the receiver, and a cool female voice is asking, re- repeating, "Unidentified fighter. This is the freighter Wild Card. Do you need assistance?" Um. So Luke calls back, "Yes, I uh, I do need some assistance." Um, he, he cops to his hyperdrive being shot. He's dead in the water. He's a, he's a sitting duck. Um, just kind of letting them know that like, look, he's, he's at their mercy. So he informs him that, you know, Luke has permission to come aboard, um, and to be dropped off wherever they end up, you know, whatever their destination is on their, their trip that they're doing. Um, so they accomplish this by extending a force cylinder, uh, between the freighter and Luke's X-wing to I guess you know create a kind of a path with uh, breathable air for him, and we have a note for this. Um, oh wait, we had a, a prior note actually that I would like to read. <clears throat> um, here we go. Uh, so he, so Luke is sizing up this bulk freighter. Apparently, the way it slowed down, it couldn't possibly have managed that if it had a full hold of cargo like they said they had. 
Uh, either they were lying about that, or else that normal-looking drive system had undergone a complete and massive upgrade. And uh, Timothy has a, uh, a note for that. Someone asked me once, what kind of modern-day car card would drive? I don't think anyone asked you that. I, I told him that it would probably be a nice, simple, family-style sedan or minivan. A Toyota or Ford, maybe. With a Lamborghini V12 engine tucked under the hood. TZ. <laughs> what a cool guy. <laughs> I'm speechless. Um, I, I have no speech. <laughs> you just have nothing for this? Those those three sentences just completely uh, unmanned you. You're 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 Timothy Zahn is the, Timothy Zahn is the kind of guy that plays bad to the bone on his radio well in the carpool lane <laughs> to Six Flags. Man, I mean we keep, no, I do, we, I we talk like about Timothy... we talk about Thrawn being a, a Timothy Zahn insert, but I really think it's Talon Card that is the Timothy Zahn insert. Yes, and actually we'll. Yeah, we'll get to that, actually, because um, there's a, a piece of evidence for that um, in one of these notes. These notes are just such a treasure trove. I really, they really make the pod for me. This is terrific. I love how appalled you are. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I, I noticed that the terminology that uh, Timothy Zahn used for this uh, sort of uh, energy tube that was going to get him onto the freighter, he called it a force cylinder. And my immediate thought was like, Wait a minute. There's already a thing called the Force in Star Wars, and it's not this. And there, there is an endnote that says, I envisioned a Force cylinder as being a cylindrical version of the atmosphere screen we saw in the movies, in big hatchways like those on the Death Star. An emergency docking tube, probably meant for temporary use only. But given the prominent use of the term, the Force, I really should have come up with a different name for this. <laughs> Vacwalk cylinder, maybe? Way too late now. TZ. Well, that's why pencils come with erasers, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's why groundbreaking novels come with twentieth anniversary special editions, um, so that you can you can address the vile nerds like me who uh, who spotted that. Um, so Luke gets on board. Uh, there's a, 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 a flunky of cards meets him and escorts him to meet the captain. Uh, and we have another, here's another masterful stroke of Zahn's light touch on description. There was a young man waiting for them, wearing a casual coverall of an unfamiliar cut. Unfamiliar to, to who? To me? Of course it's unfamiliar to me. I don't live in Star Wars. But I guess, is it unfamiliar to Luke? Who's familiar with cuts of coveralls? This is a very weird sentence. <laughs> I I think that, uh, I, I think that uh, Luke underreacts when he's told that Captain Card will see you now because I know Luke has been established as kind of dim, but he has to put two and two mm-hmm. together that the ship wild card is named after Captain Card. And if right. I were if I were Luke <laughs> in that scenario, I would be like Kramer in that episode of Seinfeld where he goes, Wait, the library's investigator is named Bookman? That's amazing. That's like an ice cream guy <laughs> named Cone. <Right. laughs> That would that would be a nice touch. Hey, wait a minute! What well, this this must be the forces doing such a uh, such a coincidence. Um, it's like if he but, called his uh, X-wing the Skywalker, which actually wouldn't be a terrible name for a ship either. <laughs> yeah, that would be, be a pretty good name. Um, the Luke. So, uh, he Luke is an X-wing called the Luke. <laughs> the Luke. So Luke. Uh, the Luke Warm. 
So it's a pun like wild card. Huh? Anyway. There's cool no way I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the, the look at me now. Here's looking, looking anyway, okay, at you, right, kid. That, here's, here's looking at you. Yes. That's the name of, that's the name of Luke Skywalker's yacht. Here's looking at you. <laughs> oh God. This is the stupidest thing we've ever done. Um, don't worry. It's about to get dumber uh, later. So, oh, it gets, we're all going to get super stupid. Um, so Luke goes and meets Captain Card. Uh, and uh, it was, a, it says here, and here we have, and I thought this was terrific. Um, we have actually had what three, four scenes with Talon card in them. And we get, we finally get a description of what he looks like <laughs> when Luke approaches. <laughs> it says in the center of a large desk console combination and seated behind it, watching Luke's approach was a slender man, thin faced with short, dark hair and pale blue eyes. This is, the mo- this is the most description we've gotten for any character ever in the series. Even more so than uh, yeah, Thrawn. Because, really like, with Thrawn, we just get the color of his skin. Right, right. Yeah, nothing about, like, the shape of his face or anything. Yeah, he um, may be... He, so may, have a, on this he is... may have a mohawk, for all we know. <laughs> That's right. Somewhere along the line, one of the artists tackling card either missed this description or else ignored it and drew the man with long, flowing hair and a goatee. That's the image that has now stuck for him. Which is fine with me. Card is the type who would probably find it useful to change appearance every so often anyway. And by the end of the Thrawn trilogy, he could very well have looked like that. It was also that image that Decipher, capitalized, used when they brought Mike Stackpole and me out to Virginia for a photo session to create their special edition Talon Card and Corrin Horde cards. I would have never guessed it as I was writing air that I might someday end up on a collectible card. Life can be very strange sometimes. So, Timothy Zahn is the face of Talon Card. That that sounds like a ruse that you, that gets you sex trafficked. Yeah, I want you to I want you to <laughs> model for this trading card I've, I'm uh, making. Come out to Virginia and model for a Star Wars trading card. Next thing you know, you're in a shipping crate to Estonia. <laughs> Next thing you know, you, you you wake up in a bathtub with uh, you know with your kidney cut out. <laughs> so Card greets him by name. He's identified him as uh, Commander Luke Skywalker, and then Luke corrects him, Private Citizen Skywalker, like a like a Democratic politician who loses an election. Well, shouldn't he um, just be Mister Skywalker then? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, do do Mister and do Mister and Mrs. like exist in Star Wars? Serious question. You know, I don't think I've ever heard those terms. I mean, we know that there are marriages because Leia and Han are married. But I don't think she's ever been called Mrs. Solo or anything. She's just still called... She's called Organa Solo. Like, with a with a hyphen. So we cracked but, it, folks. Uh, I, I don't know. There, there's no misters in, in Star Wars. No... They call no man mister. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh... So he and Card have uh, a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, Card's being cagey. Luke seems really stupid a lot. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, Card explains that he knew who he was because he's wearing his lightsaber on his belt. And so Card is like, look, there's only like one guy in the galaxy who has that. <laughs> so, so like Luke is like, how could you have possibly known? And he's there. He's Luke fucking Skywalker. Literally, he's the most famous guy in the galaxy, presumably. Literally one Jedi in the universe. 
one Jedi we know of. who twice dis- dis- who twice destroyed the most feared weapon in the galaxy. How do you know who I am? Come on, bro. Uh, but yeah, my my like note George, here says it's like George Washington going. How do you know who I am? And just someone picking holding up a dollar bill. <laughs> right. In my notes, it says here, Luke seems pretty stupid sometimes. True to Star Wars. That's, that's just kind of mean. But, uh... It's like, oh, I'm I'm sorry. What? did I Was I unfair to Luke Skywalker? Well, I mean, he's just a farm boy from Tatooine. He didn't choose this life. It got thrust upon him. Because <laughs> his father turned out to be a cyborg robot man. So, so you're saying I'm 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 being unfair that you can you can take the boy out of the moisture farm, but you can't take the moisture farm out of the boy. Like, imagine if I would ever make fun of you for being from Alabama. <laughs> Perish the thought. I don't think that would ever never you you would never have. Meanwhile, such a, Leia uh, such Leia's going to like fucking Montessori schools on Alderaan with her damn adopted <laughs> family. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, Luke, so Luke's, more of a Luke's back- only pleasure in life is like throwing rocks at Jawas with his buddy Wedge. That's a good point. And bullseyeing womp rats. Yeah. He does love that. Huh. All right, all right, all right. Somebody um, has to stick up for I take Luke. it back. <laughs> it's not going to be me, so it might as well be you. Uh, so uh, Luke is being, well, after a, kind of, you know, the back and forth, uh, you know, Luke is, uh, he's sitting there, he he casts his mind out, trying to, like, sense the rest of the crew, and then he gets to a person who, the, the jolt that mind shot through him was like an electric current. Yes, that's her, card confirmed almost offhandedly. She hides it quite well, actually, though not, I suppose, from a Jedi. It took me several months of careful observation to establish that it was you, and you personally, for which she had those feelings. Uh, it took Luke another second to find his voice. Never before, not even from the Emperor, had he ever felt such a black and bitter hatred. Uh, so that's his, his meet cute with Mara Jade. He mind reads her, which is a, I, I feel like a pretty intense violation of uh, boundaries, and finds out that she really, really hates his ass. And then a couple seconds later, uh, he gets tased in the back <laughs> and then collapses. <laughs> so... Which was I thought was really funny. The the funniest thing I have for chapter eighteen, and by funny I mean disgusting, is the following description: the wild card's small docking bay was directly above him, its outer door gaping invitingly. I don't want to know what. I, I mean, I assume that Timothy Zahn searches gaping invitingly on Pornhub. <laughs> oh no! And he makes sure it's spaceships. Yeah, and he gets those schematics out of the X-wing to really to to to, yeah. I don't want to. I don't even want to say. I don't even want to say. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was that was kind of a. I would say that was a misstep. But in, yeah, despite uh, my valiant in, in defense of there. Luke Skywalker earlier, I gotta say he doesn't fare very well in this uh, this chapter. No, he's uh, he just gets hayseeded by the uh, by the slick big city smugglers, and then gets his ass tased and knocked out. Yeah, it's actually described um, as there were so we Jedi methods for fighting off unconsciousness. But, waking up, but they all <laughs> but they all took at least a split second of preparation, a split second that Luke did not have. Yes, yeah, the, the Jedi techniques to avoid getting knocked out. He didn't have that split second because yeah. Uh, 
So chapter 19 opens with uh, with Luke waking up. And I realized this is the second time in as many chapters, and I want to say the third or fourth time in the whole book that a chapter starts with Luke waking up. <laughs> it's just, it's really, it's a, well, it's a motif, really. It's a theme. You know, we're, we're talking about how Timothy Zahn is, of course, a, a great writer, and this is, I think, evidence of that, that he has these um, kind of images that are recurring that provide a rhythm to the to the text. And, and one of those is not having any idea how to start a chapter or end a chapter other than with someone going to sleep and then waking up. <laughs> can, can I quote the funniest part of the book so far? And I, I know I throw the Please superlative do. around a lot, but this is really funny. Um, Cause he, he, uh, he reasons that he's been drugged as well as being uh, stunned. So then he goes inwardly. Mm-hmm. He smiled. Card was probably expecting him to be incapacitated for a while longer. And card was in for a surprise. Forcing his mind into focus, he ran through the Jedi technique for detoxifying poisons, which, one, I didn't know that existed. I, yeah, uh, but, <laughs> I have my, but, in my notes it says, but, uh, but, he tries to do the old Jedi D- DT's mind trick. <laughs> but then, and then waited for the haze to clear, and then here's the punchline. It took him some time to realize that nothing was, in fact, happening. <laughs> Yeah, he's not doing great. Luke is just not doing great. Uh, and he falls asleep again. Somewhere in there, he fell asleep again. When he next awoke, his mind had cleared completely. Uh, so he, he wakes up yet again um, and finds that he is... Well, first, you know, he, he doesn't realize that there's someone else in the room with him. So when someone says, finally awake, are you? Uh, he is startled because he did not sense her there because he doesn't have his, his force powers. Um... And uh, and here we get, I think, a fuller... I don't, I don't know. I don't think this is a more of a description of Mara Jade. I think it's just the same one we get two or three times now. Uh, she was sitting in a high-backed chair, her arms draped loosely over the arms in a posture that seemed strangely familiar. A slender woman about Luke's own age with brilliant red-gold hair and equally brilliant green eyes. Question. That's, I think that's all we... Question. What yes. is Luke's age? Well, he's got to be like what twenty five, right? No, I'm trying to think okay, of how old Mark okay. Hamill was in Return of the Jedi. Well, that's what I'm thinking. So let's say that Luke Skywalker is what nineteen in A New Hope. Okay. So I believe I believe there are supposed to have been three years that transpire over the course of the original trilogy. Does that sound right? I mean, by it's, by, a, it's some span. By like Return of the Jedi, Mark Hamill's fucked up face looked about forty. Well, that's true. Uh, so we'll say he's 25 in Return of the Jedi. So this is five years after Return of the Jedi. Let's call it 30. I guess maybe. I think, I think, I think maybe they were still like planning, like possibly in their back pocket of like adapting these into films, or maybe that was like yeah. Zon's, uh, yeah. Zon's uh, uh, hope that. I think that was Zon's so secret like, hope. Like, yeah. Signposting like how old <laughs> Luke was, like however old do you think he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Luke is really startled to discover that uh, he could not sense her at all. Um, and she says, that's right, she said, favoring him with a smile, a malicious one. Uh, Welcome back to the world of mere mortals. And that's when Luke realized, uh-oh, uh-oh. It was like suddenly going blind, it says here. And I can get that. You know, you're used to being able to, like, 
you know, sense people around you, like, I guess you kind of feel a pressure on your mind wherever this person is, and now you don't have that. Um, so she's needling him, uh, like, being like, aha, not so easy when you lose everything that once made you special, is it? And uh, he's uh, he's just trying to get his bearings, and she's really, you know, dancing on his grave a little bit there. Uh, but notes that, like... Uh, <laughs> He's, he's, she's there to escort him to Talon Card. And I have in my notes, I say here, I would just like to note that this is the second chapter in a row where Luke wakes up and meets Talon Card. <laughs> That's true. I, I, really, in, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, so uh, they take a little walk out of the, uh, the, the barracks that he had been uh, <clears throat> uh, stashed in. And then... Uh, they kind of take a little walk across the grounds. There are a few more buildings in the compound, uh, a hangar for working on starships, uh, a dozen starships, it says. So this is a, this is a pretty big operation. Um, and they reached a large central building and Mara reached past Luke to slap the sensor plate beside the door. He's in the great room. Mara says the panel slid open straight ahead. And, uh, here's where the, I, I think I, I mentioned in the chat that there's a Wisconsin connection coming up and here's where it is. Uh, Ahead, a large door at the end of the hallway slid open to their approach. Mara ushered him inside and into a scene straight out of ancient legend. For a moment, Luke just stood at the doorway staring. The room was large and spacious, its high ceiling translucent, and crisscrossed by a webwork of carved rafters. The walls were composed of a dark brown wood, much of it elaborately open mesh carved, with a deep blue light glowing through its interstices. Note. This image of carved wood with blue light shining through the gaps comes from a couple of visits we made at a place called the House on the Rock in Wisconsin. Oh, it's yeah. an absolutely stunning architectural masterpiece, and several of the rooms have this sort of background lighting. Ronnie, have you been to the House on the Rock? I can't say that I have, but I know of it well. Um, I just want to okay. I just want to say the the sentence into a scene straight out of Earth. Ancient legend. I almost said urban legend. Uh, ancient legend is amazing because <laughs> it's like, yes. just think of stuff from the past. <laughs> well, it gets a little weirder. Um, and again, I got you know. I, but I, but, I, I, but this, I have to say uh, this uh, this is things. actually a, a case where Zon like describes shit, but it's still just yeah. Like, and I'm grateful for like that. Ancient stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but here's where gets, there's a little strange touch, and I'm gonna have to you're gonna have to help me kind of you know reason my way through this. Uh, but all of that was secondary, taken in peripherally or at a later time entirely. For that first astonishing moment, Luke's full attention was fixed solidly on the tree growing through the center of the room. Not a small tree either, like delicate saplings. This was huge, a meter in diameter at the base, extending from a, uh, a section of plain dirt through the translucent ceiling and far beyond. Um, uh, Card calls him over, and then there's a bit that says, Swallowing, Luke started toward him. There were stories he remembered from his childhood about fortresses with trees growing up through them. Frightening stories, some of them full of danger and helplessness and fear. And in every one of those stories, such fortresses were the home of evil. Jack of the Beanstalk. Now, right? Well, here we go. Okay. There's a footnote for this, uh, or an endnote for this. And he says here, I read mythology voraciously when I was a child, and my favorites were the Norse myths. This one is straight out of the Siegfried legend. All we're missing is a sword stuck in the tree. So is he talking about, like, is this supposed to look like Yggdrasil, I guess? Or 
I, I, I don't know my Siegfried myth all that well. Like, is there some place, a fortress with a tree growing in it that's evil? And also, who was telling him these stories? Was this what Aunt Baru would tell him? Uh, to reference uh, a Deliver the Profile, my other podcast episode that, that you were on a while ago, <laughs> do you think that this is Kevin from The Office if he... Is Timothy Zahn Kevin from The Office if he just received a, a Norse mythology book after he <laughs> got saved from getting lost in the woods? I think so. I think so. And that's and then and then and then he's like in the tree that was in the fortress, it looked just like the trees in the forest. And now he's killing people because yeah, he was he wasn't able story. to go to Norway. <laughs> I think we cracked the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone go listen to uh Deliver the Profile. Uh episode name I don't remember what 239. Uh Okay, okay. Yeah, there we go. To 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 hear what the hell we're talking about. So card uh, does the standard welcome back to the land of the living? You always say that to somebody who just got out of the hospital or you know a drug induced stupor. Um, but before the, before you go any guard... before you go any further, I just want to note that uh, oh sure that uh, Card is sitting in a chair, uh, and on either side are two long legged quadrupeds crouched, and that was the <laughs> point where I just threw my yeah. hands up and was like, really. You can't even give us, like, birds or anything now. It's just quadrupeds. You know? Yeah. Think, think, and, of, and again, think of those things funny. with four legs. You know? What's what's funny... He, he quits himself almost by, that... by then going with their vaguely dog-like <laughs> muzzles, but still... Vaguely dog-like muzzles, yeah. It's really funny that, like... Okay, this book is written in omniscient third-person perspective, Right? And yeah, we have different like point of view kind of storylines or characters or whatever that we're following. But like Zahn is taking this opportunity to re-describe all these things we've met before with Talon Card. Because this is the first time Luke is seeing it, I guess. So that would have been, I, I think in the hands of, well, I wouldn't say a more capable writer because of course Timothy Zahn is the greatest genius of letters that America's ever produced. In the hands of a different writer, this might be an opportunity to provide different interesting details on something that we already have the vague notion of but instead he just gives us a vague notion again it's really annoying <laughs> i have i have two brief notes but, before uh, you go further one oh sure he says that one of the quadrupeds is named sturm now i bet you twenty dollars that the other one's named drang right it is we've already covered this on the show yeah that was when, the, like, the, we got the names of the dogs when um, uh, uh, Poleon was talking to Card. Quadrupeds with dog-like yeah, muscles. Sorry, the quadrupeds, which are obviously just dogs. Um, yeah, they they are Sturm und Drang. So I guess that fits in with the German literature theme of this chapter. <laughs> my 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 second note is: Is this the only Star Wars uh, material in which? Um, you could name a character Chin, and wouldn't be a horrific Chinese stereotype. Because we get a guy named Chin, I, mean, I guess so. Because it's who's just described as a middle-aged man with a frothy style haircut. Yes. <laughs> now, now, if I were George yes. Lucas, I'm thinking, you know, buck teeth, uh, a top knot, <laughs> right. a really like thick glasses. Yeah. Well, there's a, a, a you're gonna love this. There's a there's an end note for Frofly haircut. Uh, 
and it says, what is a frofly style haircut? I got asked this kind of question a lot with air and the other two books. Again, I, I'm not so sure, Timothy. The questions came from my editor, Lucasfilm, the copy editor, or sometimes all three. The answer, I don't know. The ideal is to sprinkle these alien non-Earth references throughout the books with the intent being to add a little more Star Wars feeling to it. Why don't you tell us what this uh, this looks like? And and this is is just, you're going to love this, Ronnie. Of course, the throwaway lines also served another more devious purpose. The reader never knew whether one of these things was merely some local color or whether it was a subtle setup to an important plot point somewhere down the line. TZ. Also, I... I <laughs> so this is all... Also, I might rescind my, my uh, previous point because I'm looking at the, the book again and I'm looking at one of Chin's lines mm-hmm. and one of them is, What, hey, we go for a walk, he... Now, that's gotta yeah, be, that's gotta be racist some towards kind of... someone. I, I, I read it, I ended up reading it in a Scottish accent. Because <laughs> that one took me a couple times, too. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, <laughs> anyway. That's, so it's offensive Chin, to someone. He's, 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 he's up there with Dravis as a, a beloved character. Um, so... Uh, but to get back to uh, our main story here, uh, Card and Luke have a back and forth where um, basically Card is trying to pump Luke to get him to spill the beans on why the Imperials are after him. Which, for one, I think that would be obvious. Like, the Imperials are after him because he's Luke Skywalker. Right? I mean, they don't need really an excuse for that. <laughs> He's, he's the guy who killed the Emperor and is the last Jedi and is their sworn enemy. But apparently, like, you know, they're, they're throwing all this effort at capturing him. They're they're hiring a bunch of smugglers and bounty hunters to look for him. So, you know, I guess Talon Card thinks something is up. You, the, um, you, the Virgin Daniel, would say that that's the important part of the scene. Me, the Chad Ronnie, would say uh-huh. the important part of the scene is that this is the first time Luke has ever had coffee. Yes, I I didn't even know that. I called it space coffee because they never they never mention if it's warm, but it, he's handed a reddish cup of liquid that's a mild stimulant. Yeah, something to help you wake he up. Does, he has yeah, something to help you wake up. He has a little bit of Folgers <laughs> there in the Yggdrasil room with uh, Talon Card. I the, I, who I looks bet exactly like I Zahn. bet you in the earlier draft it was coffee, and then like some editor was like. Tim, they don't have coffee in Star Wars, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and, t- and, t- and Tim was like, all right, all right, all right. I'll change the coffee, but for goddamn, I am not moving an inch on hot chocolate. That stays in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so Card is being a little cagey. He and Luke have a bit of a back and forth. Uh, Luke owns up that he doesn't really know exactly why, but he does... Note that there have been two attempts on his sister, Leia. Um, now, Card kind of explains that he has a bit of a delicate operation going on now. His uh, his smuggling operation, which again, is apparently like 70% of the economy in the galaxy is smuggling. Uh, but he's kind of hedging his bets by operating in Republic space and Imperial space. And he's very deeply invested in both of those. And Luke Skywalker is a bit of a hot potato for him. Because if he gives Luke Skywalker back to the New Republic, 
then the Imperials are really going to crack down on his operation in Imperial space. If he hands them over to the Empire, the Republic's going to really crack down on him and uh, and get on his case there. So Card has to kind of play it uh, play it real cool and find out as much as he can about all this. So he asks about uh, where these attacks take place, and Luke explains like, well, there was the uh, first one on Bimasari and the second on Bpfash. And Card nodded, ah, we've got a contact on Bpfash. Perhaps we can get him to do some backtracking on the Imperials. Until then, I'm afraid you'll have to remain here as our guest. Um, so that's kind of the the state of play at this point. Oh, but he does explain, for, and I feel like Talon Card really fucked up here. Because for no reason, and with no kind of like, it's not even like a tit for tat, like I'll give you a little information if you give me a little information. He just, just explains that it's the weird furry salamanders in the tree that are suppressing his force powers. I was kind of he's just, wait, he just I was explains kind of like, oh yeah, for Luke Skywalker to take out his lightsaber and just you know kill them. Because right. couldn't he just kill the little salamander <laughs> men? Yeah, the lightsaber doesn't rely on force power. I mean, it's just there. It's a lightsaber. It's a it's a laser sword. Um, but uh, yeah, he explained what's and there was another kind of interesting thing here with um, all right. So Luke has never heard of him. None of his Jedi mentors ever mentioned this. Um, nobody ever mentioned the possibility of such a thing. And Card agreed. You know, not very many have. You know, have, haven't heard of them. And in the past, most of those who did had a vested interest in keeping it that way. The Jedi of the Old Republic avoided this planet for obvious reasons, which is why a fair number of smuggling groups back then had their bases here. After the Emperor destroyed the Jedi, most of the groups pulled up roots and left, preferring to be closer to their potential markets. Blah, 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 blah. So, am I to understand that the Jedi Order operated as a kind of, like, customs enforcement? <laughs> like, like, it was beneficial for smugglers to set up operation on the planet with the Force-suppressing salamanders because Jedi were coming after them? I mean, Jedi are basically space cops, right? I guess you're right. Yeah. And and as we've known, there's so much smuggling because of all the tariffs. That's a big part of the Star Wars galaxy. Ah, so I ah, guess but, they must have been But involved. we also know that they're space cops via, you know, all the stuff that came after this. So we don't know. Yeah, really. yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we need to put ourselves in the yeah. mindset of being ready to absorb Zahn at his level. So we can't, like, bring in all of the knowledge we have from, like, the prequels and the Disney crap. Yeah, yeah, he yeah we, he doesn't have that. All he has is his uh, audio tapes of the original trilogy and uh, the Caravan of Courage. Think of it this way, to, Daniel. To work off of. To, in Zahn's world, younglings don't exist. <laughs> to, t- to Timothy Zahn, a pod race is something you do to uh, race to get your preferred flavor of Keurig coffee pod. No, that's bad. That sucks. I don't know. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, oh, no, no. I, I, I got one. In, in Timothy Zahn's world, uh, a midi-chlorian is... No, I don't... I don't know. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to cut this. Or maybe not cut it. The audience deserves honesty. I flubbed the, it. The audience <laughs> needs to hear your, your flop sweat. They... Oh boy, it's, it's coming in spades. Oh, going to have to shower off after this one. Uh, so anyway, 
they wrap up. Um, you know, the, the state of play, Card has to hang on to Skywalker until he knows a little bit more about his options before he, you know, who to betray him to. Um, Mara Jade escorts him back to his room on the compound um, and has really what I think made her my favorite character right now. And they're walking him back and he's trying to be folksy. He says, did I miss dinner? He asked as they walked down the corridor to his room. Something can be brought to you, Mara said, her voice little more than a thinly veiled snarl. Thank you. Luke took a careful Luke took a careful breath. I don't know why you dislike me so much. Shut up! She cut him off. Just shut up. <laughs> Grimacing, Luke did so. Uh, I just really love that. I love the idea of someone telling Luke Skywalker, "Shut up! Just shut up." Now, That's really great. Now, tell me if I'm far off, but when I picture Mara Jade and Luke interacting, I imagine your wife and you interacting. <laughs> uh let's see well-meaning doofus whom everyone likes for no real reason check and then a smart capable beautiful woman who hates him check <laughs> you know what i think you're onto something <laughs> yeah that mara jade she's a real battle axe she's <laughs> she's a real uh she's a real rolling pin wielder also i met since we know like uh spoilers that uh Luke and, and Mara Jade eventually uh, fall in love. That I imagine that this meet cute is very similar to your and uh, your wife's meet cute, if you had one. You know there are a lot of um, you woke you woke up well, drug you woke up drugged on a smuggling ship. <laughs> I woke yeah I woke up uh, you know uh, just drunk and hungover as all hell. And uh, had a meeting with uh, with uh, with a boss guy, and then she yelled at me to shut up and and told me she hates me. Uh, and we've been together ever since. See, there's something for everyone in Star Wars. <laughs> there, there really, there really, truly is. Uh, so she locks him in his room, lets him know, like, yeah, you know, we don't have any lock for the window, but there's an alarm on it. Um, if you try going out, it'll be a toss up as to whether the Vornskers get you. Those are the quadrupeds before I do. Um, and she also reminds him that of course the woods are full of, uh, Isela Miri, So he'll be just as crippled out there even more so than he is in here. Yeah. So Luke's kind of between a rock and a hard place. He's never since facing the emperor had he felt so helpless or for that matter, actually been so helpless. He took a deep breath for the Jedi. There is no emotion. There is peace. Uh, somehow he knew there had to be a way out of this prison. All he had to do was stay alive long enough to find it. And that concludes this section of Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. Uh, will Luke wake up again? Who knows? I I, I like how he, he says, like, all he had to do was find a way out. There had to be a way out of this prison. They just said that yeah, there's no lock for Yeah, you can make a run for, for it, but I guess, you know... Uh, I guess the idea is the, the, the dog, the dog, right, right. Yeah. The dogs will get you or we'll hunt you down. There's no hope for you, you know, but surely Luke Skywalker could like, you know, hotwire a spaceship or something, you know, beat cheeks out of there. I don't know. We'll have to see. Maybe he does. I don't remember. (laughs) I, I, I honestly do not remember how the plot goes. So I, I can't really tell you how, uh, how he, how he wriggles his way out of this one. Um, Boy, that would be a real twist if Luke Skywalker dies in Chapter 20 of 
the first book of it the Thrawn real, trilogy. You know, that would be a real... Uh, you'd have to admire Timothy Zahn for his brazenness uh, at that point. Yeah, that would be like Janet Lee and Psycho <laughs> all over again. So now that we've wrapped up the uh, the recap portion of the show, we move on to our next segment, of course, uh, Into the Thronder Dome, where Ronnie and I uh, engage in a battle of wits and uh, and quick thinking and moral conviction. Uh, that is our debates, where we shall pit mind against mind, soul against soul, to determine the truth once and for all. Ronnie, what is our topic in this instance of Into the Thronder Dome? Marcel the Shell with God shoes on. damn it. All right. <laughs> okay. Well... I, I say that I customarily losers go first, so now, you go first. that's putting the cart before the horse, but okay. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, a famous early viral video voiced by uh, comedian and actress Jenny Slate, who I actually like quite a bit. I think she's very funny. This shit, though, I... Look, if it was, what was it, 2007, 2008, something like that? This was right around the time that viral videos were becoming a thing. Uh, this was the time when some stuff could go big on MySpace, like that shoes video. That was all over the place. And my friends were showing me Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And they thought it was hilarious and great. And I never once cracked a smile. I just am just sitting there and there's this weedy little thing croaking. Is croaking its twee little croak and talking its little cutesy poo things, and I just wanted to step on it. I had, I really had no response. I just was, it was tedious. It was tedious and irritating. And look, and this is not because, like, I'm not, look, I'm no stranger to twee, okay? This was actually in a time of my life where I was listening to a lot of Decemberists, all right? Let me just, so I am no stranger to uh, twee things and the twee sentiment. And, and aesthetic. But man, I just never vibe with Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And now, some years later, over 10 years later, I made some kind of wisecrack about it on Twitter one time. And the director of the Marcel the Shell with shoes on feature film hopped onto the thread to say, Hi, I just hope you'll give our fun little movie a chance. And, and, and you know what? <clears throat> one. And you've been one, whining about it ever do since. Do not talk back to me online. Do not be like Kevin Smith, who also did this to me. Do not talk back to me online if you're some Hollyweird sicko. And two, do not make me feel bad. <laughs> That's rule number two about interacting with me online. Fucking, fucking Daniel's enemies <laughs> list over here. So, so that is why I am against Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Here's here. I, let me let me lay it out a little more systematically. One, not funny. Two, sonically grating and irritating. Three. Not funny. Four, uh, the director of the movie made me feel bad for expressing an opinion, which is basically cancel culture, uh, and we all know that that's wrong. So, uh, so there's my there's my my con argument for Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Okay, here's my pro argument. I have five points, which I will uh, lay out for you now. One, look at him; he's adorable. <laughs> he's got little shoes. He's, he's a shell. He's got it. He's got a huge eye. That, he's got a googly eye, for fuck's sake. I mean, come on. So, number two, Jenny Slate, America's Treasure. 
Everyone loves her. Number three, and this is uh, most important, your half-remembered pot-addled memories are not admissible <laughs> oh, in this court no. of law. <laughs> well, that's like all of, that's all I have. <laughs> that's going to... I come to... I come to experience Marcel the Shell with shoes on in 2022, sober, watching the feature film, and he is charming for his perspective on the world that is different than ours because he's a <laughs> he's very small. Shell. He's a cockeyed <laughs> optimist. He's a cockeyed optimist in a world of pessimism and shittiness that you embody with your uh, sarcastic little asides and and destructionist <laughs> behavior. And doing doing entire podcast series just to just to just to crap on a book, you know that's the kind of attitude I'm bringing to the table. Number four, ninety nine percent of one hundred thirty eight reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are positive for Marcel Deschamps with shoes on movie. <laughs> so that means you're you're in the one percent, and and let me let me remind you of a famed misogynist uh, political candidate Bernie Sanders when he said. And I quote, the 1% is bad. <laughs> so you're in that 1%. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah. And number five, my, my final point, uh, Marcel Deschel is basically the, uh, the A24 equivalent to, uh, to Star Wars phenomenon, Babu Frick. <laughs> Love that now guy. The, uh... Now, Babu Frick is in one of the ones I didn't see, right? Okay. Rise of Skywalker. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, is it... Well, I'll send you well, a picture me, after no, 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 the recording. Let me ask you this. Is it worth watching Rise of Skywalker to see Babu Frick? Yes and no, because <laughs> he's barely in the movie, but also I think Rise of Skywalker is... is worth watching just to see how badly okay, they fumble sure. the bag in terms of like being a, a, a gotcha. an event film. It, it's, it's really, it's really amazing. I mean, you have the immortal line, somehow Palpatine <laughs> returned. That is, I did see that one making the rounds and that did seem very funny. So I guess I will have to, especially as we continue on our exploration of star Wars, Iana, I will have to get to it at some point. Um, well, there we have it. We've laid out our arguments, uh, the we leave it to you listeners my 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 final final point is i'm willing to let bygones be bygones and watch with daniel the movie marcel the shell's shoes okay you know what here we go this is let it and maybe he'll shed this this cynical (laughs) gen x attitude of his right They won't let anything joyful and exuberant in the world live without stepping on where, it, as he says. Where am I? Yeah. All, all Marcel Deschamps wants to do is live his life, you know, roll around the, the house in the air and B&B, and you're just like, oh, I want to stomp on him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear my, my flannel tied around my waist and stomp on him like a real Gen Xer that I am. <laughs> all right, well, fair enough. I think we can we can... I can't. I can't believe you have a daughter. <laughs> oh no! I'm a good dad. I think I'm a good dad. Teaching her these values, stopping on little shellmen. Look, look, look! All right, all right, all right. Tell you what. Tell you what. Tell you what. Since you are right that my 
assessment of Marcel the Shell with Shoes on is based on 15-year-old pot-addled recollections. I accept your challenge to watch the Marcel the Shell with Shoes on feature film with you. We'll, we'll, we'll watch it together uh, and then record a podcast about it. Maybe I'll, I'll have a special bonus edition. Um, and uh, I, accept your, I accept your terms. But... Just be prepared to accept that I, I might I might have a bad time. So, you know, you're gonna have to sit with that. You're gonna have to deal with that. Alright. Well we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll arrange that and we'll we'll see if my uh if my if my jaded, cynical, born in the seventies Gen X attitude can withstand <laughs> Marcel the shell with shoes on. The the bright and cheery zoomer icon uh and uh we'll we'll discover that but for now i think it's time to uh to wrap up this episode of uh thronderdome the world's only star wars novels podcast thank you so much for joining us again i uh, hope you've enjoyed our uh our journey through the 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 rich tapestry of language that timothy zahn has woven for us uh and uh we will see you next time for chapters 2021 20, and 22